Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Y'all ready to go in the Word say, yeah? Yes. Amen. Open up your paper Bible. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're continuing this series uh, called Word and Power, walking through the 8th chapter of the Lucene Gospel. Uh, as a church, we choose to study the book of Luke every fall. Uh, the reason is we, I find Luke to be the most intriguing of the Gospels. It's very detailed. It tells all of the little intricate parts of the story. And I, I love that because I think all of the Lord's goodness is in the details. And so this series has been called Word and Power because if you remember, we've walked through the beginning part of this chapter with Jesus' teaching. He's teaching about the generosity of women. He's teaching about the parable of the, soul, the sower. He's been teaching about the purpose of the parables. He taught about bringing light to our communities and to our families. He even last week, if you remember, he talked about the family, the dynamics of the family, and who he considers to be the real family. And then this chapter shifts right now, right in this passage, that we're going to study today. We can call this section a hinge section, where Jesus is going to turn his focus, not just from the words that he preaches, but to the deeds that he does. The best part about Jesus is that when he shares a deed, when he does a thing, he also narrates the process. And so there's still good word when there's a miracle. And I want to push you in that kind of a thinking as well. Our faith can be both experiential, amen, and intellectual, amen. Hear me now, because I'm trying to be the kind of pastor that will bridge the two. Oftentimes in America, our churches are one of two things. We're either all experiential. You ever go to that church? Me too. I like those churches. All loud and jumpy. That's why we got half our church just like that. I like all of the moves of the Spirit. I even like when people fall down. I like when people fall down. I'm like, whoa, that's dangerous. All right. But sometimes we err too much on being all experiential and we lose all of the joy that is an intellectual and intelligent God. You've been in environments where it feels like maybe that's not the Holy Spirit, but the culture of that environment has been don't ask questions. So it becomes culture, not Christianity. It becomes experience and not expertise. And then the other side of the, the pendulum swing is that many of our churches have said, do away with all of that. The crazy charismatics and all that Pentecostal stuff, it's fooey. Let us just be studiers of the word. Let's just be intellectuals. Let's just read. And anything, anything that feels like it's going to be hocus pocus or make us feel tingly, let's kill it. And I want to tell you that too is wrong. Any swing from either side is absolutely wrong. The tension is where all of the good stuff is. Is it true that the moves of the Spirit can absolutely blow you away? hundred percent. Amen? Is it true that our God is a God of thinking, of studying, and of understanding? Absolutely. And a good Christian should marry it. And so Jesus does that right here in this hinge passage. Because after this, it's about all crazy, fun, wonderful miracles. Amen? So let's read this. Open your Bibles. Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 22 through 25. We're going to pray. The Lord's going to talk. It's going to be rad. I can't wait. Ready? It goes like this. Luke 8, 22. One day he, that's Jesus, 
got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us grow across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke him, and they said, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They both ceased, and there was calm. And Jesus said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obeyed. The title of our message today is, Has anyone seen my faith? Has, any, has anyone seen my faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for some good old-fashioned loud kids. Come on now. <laughs> Such good things. God, we thank you for this word and our time together. Be with us. Have your way, not ours. Amen. This passage is meant to challenge us. Amen. Now, most of us have all heard this story about a hundred times. Yeah, I mean people who aren't even Christian. They're actually anti-Christian, and they know this story. Most of us know this story very well. The challenge with stories that we all know so well is that we know them so well, we kind of don't really even know them. Amen? There's some Bible study stories you've heard since you were a little kid that if you're really pressed, you have no idea what's actually happening. And this can be one of these stories. That's not to say that you don't know what's going on, but I want to push us a little bit to dive deeper in this. This whole conversation between Jesus and his disciples is about understanding where their faith is, not if they have faith. Now here's something you should understand about faith. Our life, the life we live, yours and mine, it has an uncanny way of challenging our faith. Am I right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could just live and you could be like, I love Jesus, and all of the world was like, that's cool, we won't mess with you. Wouldn't that be sweet? But it doesn't really work like that. It does not work like that because we live in a fallen world. And this fallen world, under the principalities and the powers of the air, is meant to fight back against anybody who proclaims the name of Jesus. So when you start shouting Jesus, when we start worshiping Jesus, all of the demons in your life get a little bit wrestled up. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? I mean, there's a surefire way to live an easy life, and that is don't follow Jesus, amen? But when you start following Jesus, things start getting a little bit interesting. And life's meant to do that. We're supposed to be challenged in our faith. One day you're up, next day you're down. One day everything's secure. One day everything's shaking. And the storms that we go through, be it from losing a job, losing a relationship, losing a home, losing your patience, losing a sense of yourself, they're designed to scare you. That's what the enemy's trying to do, is get you off balance by terrifying you. But I came to give you good news today, ready? There is no storm that you will face, no matter how terrifying it is, that will be terminal. It will not end. Amen? I want to push you in that today because I think most of us still believe, like, oh, this is a bad one. I'm doomed. You are not doomed, for we have the victory in Jesus' name. Can I say this already? You've already won. The only person that doesn't know you've won in a fight is the one who's fighting against you. That fool thinks he's got a shot. Guess what? He don't. Amen? I'm preaching more Pentecostal than there would be. 
it must be this stage or something. I'm starting throwing oil. I don't know what's about to happen here. Here's what I want you to understand. Faith should be challenged, stretched, pressed, grown. It's good for you to go through tough times because you get stronger in it. But faith should never be, never be, hear me, your faith should never be placed in anything other than Jesus Christ. Now you say, of course, that makes sense. I'm in church. I understand that's conversation we're having. But most of us, can I say this? Most of us, our biggest fight is not the world around us, the people we love, our jobs, our bosses, or our kids. Most of us, the biggest people, person we fight is us. Because most of the time, we're wrestling with us about who we trust most. There are some days all your faith is in Jesus. And you're like, Jesus in the mountains, Jesus in the street. And then life gets a little tough. And so then who do you put your faith in? Yourself. Now, you'd never sing it, but sometimes you're actually singing, me on the mountain, and me in the streets, me over every darkness and over every enemy. Isn't it foolish to sing that? Or most of us live that? Plain and simple. Most of us wrestle with self-reliance, with self-faith, with trust in self. And that is what this entire passage is about. See, Jesus isn't mad at these disciples for getting scared. He's asking, so, um, who do you trust? But here's the best part. Jesus is really good. Amen? Do I know anybody in this room that knows that Jesus is good? Yeah, so Jesus is always good. He's always kind. He's gentle. He's closer than a brother. And even when he wants to give us like hard lessons, he does it in a gentle, gentle way. And that's what he does right here. I want you to see this first and foremost. Verse 22 and 23a, the first part of the 23rd verse, is a picture of Jesus trying to teach us how to follow. Because here it is. We're all learning to follow the leader. Amen? I don't know if you think that there's some Christians that have it all figured out, but they don't. They're really good at thinking it. Most everyone here and in every room is just learning to follow the leader. I'll read it for you again. It says, one day he, that's Jesus, got in the boat with his disciple. He said, let's go on the other side. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus is making an order towards obedience. He tells his disciples, here's what we're going to do. First point, ready? Real quick. Notice that not one of the disciples debates him. Come on now. I like that part. Some of us don't even get to the sailing part because we've got some agenda points to talk through with Jesus. He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And you're like, I don't think it's the right day for sailing. I'm not so sure that I like the other side of the lake. I'm wondering if perhaps we should take a motorboat. Have you ever ridden a horse on the beach? And Jesus is like, when you're done, we'll talk. I don't know what you're doing. Notice Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And they just get in the boat and they just go. There are some things the Lord is just asking you to do without question. Just serve, just love, just be, just present, just show up, just show up, just show up. Amen? So he, he gives them an order and the disciples obey. I love that part. I just love that even as silly and goofbally as the disciples are, they, they just do what they're asked in this moment. What, what happens here is that the disciples begin to row the boat. And Jesus gets an opportunity to rest, which is wonderful for Jesus. 
Can you imagine what it must have been like for our Savior to finally get a few moments and be like, y'all got this? And they're like, we do, we got this. And he's like, can I take like a 10-minute nap? Sure you got this? They're like, don't you worry. Because good followers also know how to take care of leaders. What they're doing in this moment is they're not just serving the mission of God, they're also serving the man of God. And it's a wonderful picture of not just Christian faith that's missional, but Christian faith that's, faith that's intimate. I want to tell you this, that one of the hallmarks of our church when we were in that basement dungeon was we got really intimate together. Did you notice that? I mean, it wasn't just that we were close, but like we really fell in love with each other. I, I don't know that I've ever been a part of a church like this where we are all taking care of each other's babies. Come on. Like, it's awesome. I had some friends come visit, and they're like, dude, this is so cool. It's like everybody's family. And I remember thinking, like, and I hope we never lose this. Yeah, we're going to buy a church building in a few weeks, months. Amen? And I'll speak it by faith. And it's a big building. Big. Built 700 people. I don't even know 700 people. But I don't really want it and if it means we lose us. Amen? Amen. If you've been a part of an organization or a big church and it's like you show up, but you don't really know anybody. You get to sit in the back and you get to sneak out early. No one knows who you are. No one knows your struggle. And no one's there for you when you want to win, when you lose in, none of that stuff. And I've just found that God's done something really beautiful in this congregation. It's so intimate. It's so precious. And I, I do believe, I'm convinced, probably biased, that what we're doing is unique and worth leaning into. And I see this happen with the disciples and Jesus. He says, let's go across the rope, the, the, the lake. And they go, hey, man, go lay down. And he rests, and they start to row. Because good leaders delegate, and good followers do, and good Christians learn to follow and obey. That is what being a Christian means. And we can get good at following. I know you've heard sometimes that Christians... Are, are, are sinners in need of a Savior. You ever heard that before? Early in your faith, it always feels good. Oh, I'm just a sinner. That's why I need Jesus. But when Jesus died, come on, somebody, and, 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 and he shed his blood, and, 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 and he died on the cross, and then three days rose again, that whole process was meant that you would be forgiven and no longer labeled a sinner. You would be called a saint. When he rose up with life, he then gave you an I life. So when the Father sees you, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ, which means you're perfect. Come on now. So when I meet Christians, they're like, I'm just a sinner. And I'm like, so you're not saved? No, I'm saved. Well, then you're not a sinner. You might struggle with sin sometimes, but that's not your identity. When Jesus said, you're mine, you're his. You're saved. You're saved. You're saved. Hear it. Get it in you. Come on now. Away with this idea that I just struggle and I'll never get it right. That's not true. Either Jesus accomplished the person, the purpose on the cross, or he didn't. Your sin isn't stronger than Jesus. I promise you. Jesus dies, gives us life, makes us saved, which means that you and I can get really good at being obedient. See, that's when it gets hard. I mean this. You can't get good at being a Christian. Perfect? No. Shooting for it? Heck yeah. 
You can be good at like not saying bad words. <laughs> I love my church. They're like, really? Do tell. You can be good with your finances. You can be good at treating the people you love like you love them. You can be good at holding your tongue. You can be good at being honest. You can be good about your integrity. You can be the kind of person that when people meet you, they actually see Jesus. It's possible to become good. Yes. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Because we've been told for so long we're bad. Paul writes it. There's not one good. No, not one. He's not saying not one good post-Jesus. He's saying in the absence of Jesus, there's no such thing as good. But he's only ever good. Only ever good. So if I'm in Christ Jesus, guess what I'm tempted as? Good, righteous, pure, holy, without sin, made perfect, set free, delivered, healed, all of it. That's me. And I need a few more Christians in our church to recognize that's your identity. Because most of us, we never really go after what God's called us to because we're pretty sure we're too disqualified for the fight. And that's because the enemy's been telling you you're disqualified. But I want to tell you today, you're qualified. And so Jesus takes them on a journey. He says, fellas, let's get in the boat. Let's go across the other side. And they say, yes, sir. And they're obeying him. They're learning to follow their leader. But here's the best part. This isn't hard for them. Remember, most of these disciples are what profession? Fishermen. And what lake do they fish? The Sea of Galilee, and where are they? The Sea of Galilee. This is old hat, okay? It's like if you work at a bank, and Jesus is like, let's go to the bank. And you're like, super easy for me, Jesus. <laughs> Got the other brain busters. It's a cinch for them. He says, we're going to work on your faith. And so we're going to start real simple. You have to see this. This is the way he works. He says, you and I are going to do some pretty impossible things. You're going to trust me through some very dark seasons. There's going to be some storms that hold you through our impossible weather. But you and I are going to do some things that when you look back, when you and I are in eternity, when I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we're just giggling and joking, we're going to look back at some of this stuff, and you're going to be like, I can't believe I did that. That's where you and I are headed. And he says, but first, yeah, got to start small. So he puts them in the boat, and they start to row. And they're good enough that he can take a nap. Because for them, this isn't faith, this is function. It's easy. But not easy for long. Amen? Let that be our lesson today. Life is not easy. But God is in control. Say it again, because we're a kind of a church that believes God's sovereign, okay? Life is not easy. God is still in control. One more time, say it to yourself on your own time. Life is not easy, but my God is in control. Woo! Doesn't that feel good sometimes? You know how you used to say life is not easy and I'm in control? Well, I'm in control? No, that doesn't seem safe. I've had a few of those days where you're like, seriously, I can't be the leader here. I make too many bad choices. That's the best part about being a Christian. Life isn't easy, but he's in control. And so when it gets difficult, we can trust him. Because if it came to us, it came through him. I want you to see this. He's teaching them to follow him when it's easy. 
so that when it gets hard, they're comfortable and used to following him. I'll tell you this right now. Your biggest battle does not come on the first day you get saved. Right? The first day you get saved, it's wonderful. If today's your day, it's going to be great. It's going to be a wonderful Sunday afternoon. If you say yes to Jesus, you will never eat a better breakfast than Denver Biscuit Company right after this. You'll be like, I don't know what they had in that food, but that was Jesus on a plate. It always starts good. Why? Because he's there to help you with small fights and little things so that you can learn that he's good and can be trusted. And then you start walking through some storms. The Bible says, verse 23, B, the B part, it says, then a storm then a storm came. So let's talk real clear today about how to weather the storm. Can we do this? Let me just teach you how to see your storms. Because once you, once you get this, like once you get this, I don't care what the enemy throws at you. You will look it dead in the face and be like, <laughs> that's all you got! People can think you're crazy, don't worry. You'll be at your job and they're gonna be like, hey, we, we think you gotta let we gotta let you go. And your your spirit man is gonna say, that's all you got! Don't you do that. Don't you that'll be weird. They'll escort you out, that's for sure. But the spirit man in you will be able to stand against the storm and say, I am not afraid, for greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For my God goes for me and he fights with me, and whatever I put my feet is holy ground. Amen. Let's talk about how to weather the storms. First things first. Jesus sent this storm. You don't like that part, do you? Jesus sent the storm. He starts off and he gives them a little good, easy function to do. Trust me in the little things? Totally. Jesus, I love you. Cool. I'm gonna take a nap. Wake me up when you're freaking out. <laughs> I think it's in there. I didn't see Luke or John. I don't know. <laughs> the storm comes for these fishermen who are used to this boat and this water. You should know this about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee at the north end of the sea, there are two mountain ranges that drop down into a valley. That valley carries all the way back through Jerusalem and then to the Mediterranean Sea. That valley is a conduit through storms. The Sea of Galilee is known for storms, strong storms, violent storms. And though the Sea of Galilee is in all purpose just a lake, when the weather comes over towards Israel from the Mediterranean, from west to east, as storms often do, and funnels through this canyon, makes its way over the mountain range, and finally opens up over the flat land of Galilee and the sea itself. Those storms make that lake like a torrential downpour and an absolutely untamed ocean. Okay? Hear me again. Even this storm isn't new to them. These fishermen have fought through this many times. And so when the wind comes, they're like, well, what's wrong? We got this. Because sometimes you've been in a few fights and you're like, I got this. And so then the wind gets a little stronger and you're like, I got this. And the wind gets a little stronger and you're like, pretty sure I've got this. And then the wind gets a little stronger and all of a sudden you know that you know you've got this. Bible says the storm came and it was stronger than they could handle. Let us never be fooled into thinking that the Lord won't let really difficult times come our way. 
would only be right for me to preach this to you today to understand. Yes, God will let you face very difficult times. Yes, our God will allow things that are stronger than you to walk into your life. Does that make him mad? No, it makes him in control and inviting you to submit to that control. People always misquote the verse. We talked about it a million times. God will never put more on you than you can bear. And I'm always, <laughs> I'm always like, false! Oh! No, sorry. Um, out of context. Here's the deal. God will always put more things on you than you can bear so that you can stop being the only one that carries the load. But most of us are so confident in self. We're just like, I got this. And then the storm comes and the boat fills and the waves and the wind. It's too much. And you're going down and you keep saying, I'm fine. Don't worry. I'm fine. And all your friends and your family know you're not fine. And your church knows you're not fine. And we're worried about you. We're praying about you. And you're like, I'm fine. And God's like, you're not fine. Look at me. I sent this storm to break you so I could remake you. Why do you keep relying on yourself? Jesus sends your soul. So next time you get mad at the enemy, <laughs> he's like, bro, I don't even do that. <laughs> I can't. I can't do that. That's you. He's like, you, you dig that you're yelling at me. <laughs> Jesus sends your storms. And the reason that he does it is so that they can get their attention, so that they can replace Jesus where they belong. See, sometimes when God gives us easy things to trust him in faith, we start thinking that we're the ones in control. And so Jesus sends a storm that's even bigger than them. And I love this part right here, right in the text in verse 24. The storm is so big, they finally realize that as experienced fishermen, they can't handle it. And it says, and they went and woke up Jesus. And they said, Master, Master. I love this part. Hard times make these young men put Jesus right where he belongs on the throne of their life. See, at this moment, he ain't buddy Christ. He's not their homie Jesus. He's master, master. We've never faced this before. And we don't know what to do. But if you don't step in, we're going to die. See, you think the storm came and Jesus was surprised. You think Jesus woke up and was like, gosh, I gotta do everything. No. Jesus sent the storm so they'd fall on their knees and stop playing Jesus and start calling him Master, Savior, and Lord. Amen? That's what he does. He puts them in the position so that they can put him in the right place. And it becomes a setup so that they can start leaning into him. So right now, I want you to think about the storms that are in your life. Right now, I want you to think about the struggles that you're facing. What's the insurmountable thing, the one that keeps you up at night, that one that worries you? Is it your relationship? Is it your work? Is it your sobriety? Is it the fact that there's a part of you that no one knows about except for you, you live in a double life? Is it, is it that you just don't believe? I mean, you play the game, but you're not in it. Is it that you're desperate to get out of a situation you just don't know how to use the words to get out of? Are you stuck? Are you frozen? Are you drowning? I want you to think about that right now. You see, most of us think about those fights and those storms as altogether enemy designed to take us out. 
But if I've read anything about the nature of my God and his relationship to us, if, I, if I've ever read Job the way it's meant to be read, I understand that when God allows a thing in our life, he's not mistakenly allowed it. He's taken a close look at what it is, and he knows the end from the beginning. So if he allows something to come into your life, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, he knows exactly what he can do from it. The truth of the matter is that Romans 8.28 has been true before the world was framed. God makes everything work for us, right? To the good of those who love them, who are called according to his purpose, that means that even the worst day you face could be the beginning of the best days of your life. So think about your storm. Ready? It's not here to take you out. And the enemy's not in front of it. He ain't leaving. He's not winning, and he's not fighting. God has allowed this. Some of you are like, not this. Yes, this. He's either sovereign or he's not. He's either God or he's not. And this thing that he's allowed in your life, he can work for your good. He said, how is he supposed to work a broken marriage for my good? I don't know. Have you talked to him about it yet? How is he supposed to work the fact that I just got fired? I don't know. Maybe you're supposed to not be at that job. Maybe it's time you go full-time ministry. You said, how much is ministry pay? <laughs> Not much. That doesn't matter. Maybe you're still supposed to go in full-time ministry. But I lost my house. Maybe that wasn't your house. Maybe he's called you to a different place. Where am I supposed to go? I don't know if you talked to him yet. The truth of the matter is, is that he will break you. He will break circumstances. Some of us are so stubborn, so hard-hearted, so committed to things that are dysfunctional that God has to break our heart in order for us to let go. You've been holding on to something that's been killing you for years. And he says, this is going to hurt. But I'm tearing this band off. And you walk into the storm and you're like, Jesus, rescue me. And he's like, I am rescuing you. I've been doing it the whole time. And you say, but I don't like the way it feels. And he says, neither do I. But I'm in it with you. This storm that you're in is not going to work. You gotta put him where he belongs. And the disciples, they run, they wake up Jesus, and they say, Master, Master. And he says, Yes. And then he shows up. I want to read verse 25 for you. He stops the wind in the waves. And then he says, Where is He doesn't say, oh, ye of little faith. You know those parts of scripture we read before where Jesus interacts with the disciples and it always feels remain. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, where, where is your faith? And what's interesting here is he's, he's actually asking them right in this moment, hey, who are you trusting? Who are you leaning into? <laughs> uh, if you and I were in this moment, it would not have been lost on us that they knew that they were experts in one of their own boats probably near their favorite fishing hole, and it got out of hand quickly, and he said, in whom do you trust? They would have known very clearly. He's saying, I'm bigger than all of this, but you gotta get with me, not me with you. How many of you have ever lost your keys? 
You ever do this? This is me. Honey! And then you do it again. Honey, where are my keys? You ever ask somebody, where, where's your stuff? Like they're thinking about your stuff. And if they love you, they'll say back to you what everyone says back to you. Honey, where, where are my keys? And they say, well, where did you last have them? You've heard this, right? And you, before you reply, you think to yourself, well, if I knew that, <laughs> I have my keys. But what they're asking is this. Where do you always put your keys? Where are you familiar with your keys? Where do you use your keys most often? Have you retraced the steps of your keys so that when you're doing this, have you gone to the places where you always know your keys are? I hope you're tracking. Y'all with me? See, they say, Jesus, Master! <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going to die. And he says, well, where did you last put your faith? And Peter, because you know Peter's going to talk first, right? He's like, in you, knowing us. Shoot. <laughs> That's the question here in this moment. It's not do you have faith. But in your storm, is your faith in him? Or are you fighting this fight all by yourself? See, most of us have that tendency. We get into the storm, and we edge God out, and we fight our fight all by ourselves. And we're completely self-reliant until we are not enough. And then we say, Master, Master. And Jesus came so that you might encounter a storm sooner so you might find your faith sooner. Simple, easy teaching. That's it. Look out the enemy's fighting. I believe it. I always believe it. So whatever this is, it matters. Here it is. Ready? I want you to ask yourself if you've been living on faith in you. Man, you guys can come up. This is it. This is the crux of our teaching today. This is where we land, and this is where I want you to dig in and explore. I want you to ask yourself, are you currently bigger than him in your life? Are you on your own? Do you make your decisions? Are you the one in the lead? Do you consult him when it's easy, when it's appropriate, or it's an emergency? Or do you always ask, what do you want? The fact of the matter is this. It's not that some of us have faith. It's not that some of us don't have faith. It's that everyone is given a measure of faith. It's where is yours? Who's in the lead? Who are you trusting? One story I'm going to leave you today. One of my biggest challenges as a Christian now is self-reliance. The number one thing I struggle with is leaning on me. So when when Tommy Works called and they said we're we're not letting you come back, I wasn't really worried because I know God's faithful. He's going to do whatever He wants, and we got to work. And God's faithful, and He got to work. But I got real prideful that I did the work. Am I talking to anybody here? I hope you don't mind me being real honest today. I got real proud of the fact that no matter what came our way, I was good. 
And I often struggle with self-reliance. Like, Jesus, I'll bring you in when we need you. And a week and a half ago, really caught up with me. A week and a half ago, I, uh, I acted as, out of self-reliance to our staff. I've been fooling myself into thinking that I was the leader and I had all the answers, and that if people didn't do things my way, then they were wrong. And then a team on our staff had made some decisions, and I reacted out of anger. I yelled at my staff. Totally unacceptable behavior. But we built this culture in our leadership of immediate feedback. It wasn't Ty, because he was beating me up. <laughs> we built this culture in our leadership of immediate feedback and of holding one another accountable so that one of us got out of line, we corrected it. And this staff of mine that I yelled at set a meeting with me the next day, and they held my feet to the fire. And it was good. It was hard. But it was good and it reminded me that I am not God. Amen? That I'm not the leader. Amen. That I'm an under shepherd. Amen. That he's sovereign and I'm a servant. Amen? That he's a savior who's made me a saint. But I'm not in control. And I think that should help all of us. I hope you don't mind me sharing my own struggle with you, but I hope that it encourages you in this journey of surrendering your faith and letting go of your own self-reliance. You're going to discover, I hope, you're not very impressive. <laughs> you're not. You think you are, but why are you not? He is perfect and can be trusted in every one of these things. Amen? So let me pray over you today. We're going to stand to our feet with your worship. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you today for the storms. The storms that we face that are external, the storms that we face that are internal. God, today, we surrender those to you. There have been times in our life where we have made you second. We've taken the lead and we've invited you to participate so long as you're on board with us. But God, today, we break that. We ask that you break that right off of our life. That faith in us, that putting ourselves first, that self-reliance, God, we ask that you remove it from us. We don't want to face these storms alone, and we don't want to be the only one in control. God, today, help us to trust you, to put our faith where it rightly belongs in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!